Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Monday afternoon. I'm going to do something a little unusual. I'm a day behind because I spent yesterday coming back from Rochester. I want to thank Robbie Slavater, all the people who took care of me. So nicely, Robbie Aronoff and Isaac Kono, I haven't seen since the TA. And all the others, thank you very much for your hospitality. Um, today's podcast is being sponsored um, in memory of Mark Rosberg. I can't believe the yard site is tonight by S.D. Rosberg and the Rosberg family in my show. Um, Dr. Mark Rosberg who was a renowned, I guess, pediatric anesthesiologist at Hopkins, was a, really a Jabotinsky guy <laughs> and a very passionate uh, person with strong opinions on just about everything, especially Nogate de Claudius Rowe. It's, I won't say it's funny, but it's interesting that the art said, it's tonight you test Kislev, right? Just like Lubavitch. Um, Salzerai Rottenberg's birthday tonight. Anyway, um... The art says tonight, this is just before Hanukkah, <clears throat> if there was a Maccabee, it was, if you knew Dr. Rosberg, he was a Maccabee. If Matazio would have said, Mila Shemila, who's joining me for a fight against the Greeks, kick him out of Israel, he would be the first one to sign up. But anyway, it's a tribute to his memory, to his wonderful family, and there's a mole in my show, and some of the children are following in his path. Chaim's going for MD, and the girls are going for RN. And of various sorts, it's uh, and body put together the the uh, film for the show, our uh, masterpiece, Triumph of the Torah, or whatever it's called. And uh, anyway, Yehizkeh Baruch, I appreciate the uh, the sponsorship, and uh, I'm very proud to pay tribute to his memory. Uh, I'm gonna do something a little bit different today. I woke up in the morning. And I have anybody, as usual, I don't have anybody specific to speak about. I was going to go start looking through the month. But I saw, I had a email from somebody, I don't know. And he just said like this, how come, and it just tickled my fancy. Here's the email, I'm not going to say any names, of course. How come the internet today, this is what he says, quote, how come the internet today didn't cause a new, excuse me, Haskalah? In the front community, besides for a few people, it doesn't look like it's caused people to go off the derrick, get very involved in philosophy, etc. So that's the way it was phrased. <clears throat> Which is a question about, is there a modern Haskalah, and is there anything of it connected um, to the internet, online, and all the rest of it? Which is actually an extremely interesting question. And even though gay, I would say to Hanukkah, possibly, depending on how you spin the story, because Hanukkah is essentially um, a fight between two sets of Jews. We always talk about being the fight against the Greeks. Obviously, the Greek army was in there. I'm not going to get into the question about Macedonian, Seleucid, Greek, Testiavonim. Let's use that for a moment. But from the very beginning, it's really a fight between two sets of Jews. I'm sure I must have said this in previous podcasts, and I'll probably say it this coming Sunday if I have a chance, if you're my iron in the sugi, as they say. So Hanukkah is essentially kind of a civil war, but it's a civil war based on uh, cultural. 
And it's not the only civil war that was raised among Jews based on cultural issues. There were big ones that happened after Hanukkah, in the Hashemunayim period, in the Hasmonean era. Tens of thousands of Jews killed each other. I repeat, tens of thousands of Jews killed each other. It was a real bummer. Now, that's who we are as a people. Unfortunately, it's one of the bad things we have. We're not all good. We're some of it, part of it is bad. After all, it's, it's uh, disappropriate in the Parsha by Yesha because there you have the fight between Joseph and the brothers. The Rambam, I'm sure I much have mentioned before, in the Mormon Bukham says, how come the goat is the carbon chatas? Because it reminds us of the goat of Joseph when they lied and they said, these, you know, this is his coat. So, you know, whatever, it's possible. So whatever the case is, it's a problem. And I thought it's a very interesting kind of question. Um, made me think a little bit. And that's a question... You know, what do you mean by the term Haskalah? For example, I was in Rochester. I've been in many other places. People say, oh, the Haskalah, this and the other. To from people who are not very historically knowledgeable, which is just about all. And to most people in general, the Haskalah is like a boogeyman. They think it's some huge movement that swept Eastern Europe or whatever and defrumed everybody. You know, like kryptonite or something. And that's not true. That skull was rather a small movement. I did a whole series on this a couple of years ago. I don't know if it's up on on the YouTube channel yet. That's up to my kids when they decide to put it up. They have their cash bonus. But um, it's, you know, the Haskell was a movement that came and went. The survival of Haskell today is the modern Israeli culture. I mean, literally, you know, there was the first wave, the second wave, the third wave. And the third wave was in Russia, and when it was petering out, then it refigured re, re itself as cultural Zionism and became the official culture of what you and I call the state of Israel today. Um, but the Haskalah was not a mass movement. It couldn't be. It was primarily an intellectual and literary phenomenon. The Haskalah was always in Hebrew. Very few people then, like today, can read Hebrew. Unless you live in the modern state of Israel, which the Haskalah dominated, and then they were able to make everybody read Hebrew. But, you know, let's say, for example, in America. Most of you listening can't read a Hebrew book. I mean, can read a sitter. Can't read a Hebrew book. And who knows where people would be without their art school sitter and their art school commission and all the rest of it. And that's the plain truth of it. So that's called can never go and lead people off the derech, to use the expression. If people did go off the derech, and they certainly did, it's due to things other than the Haskalah. Okay. Um, those are megatrends that I've talked about many times in my lectures in university and uh, maybe in the podcast or not. I just talked about this somebody with yesterday in Rochester. I think if you go to my website and you look at the old, old lectures, I think they're up now, like from 2008, seven, something like that. And there I discussed what was a boiled down version of a course I used to give in college which I entitled From Traditionalism to Orthodoxy. Uh, so that's that. But having said that, it's ironic because when the Haskell was around, it was mainly attractive to people who were members of the elite, who were yeshiva guys, people who could read Hebrew, people who were into ideas, uh, who might possibly be attracted by new philosophies, in a way that a simple Jew wouldn't, because they didn't know better. Um, 
even time of Hanukkah, who were the people, at least according to the sources, who became the Hellenists? The answer is the elite, the Kalanin. Right? Read up on it. I'm sure you've heard one time or another the famous passage from the Book of Maccabees that the Kohanim started a gymnasium and they, um, what do you call it? They subjected themselves to uncircumcision. That's what the uh, Pusik says. That's what the Book of Maccabees says. Uh, you know, they went and because they did it naked, you know, the exercise and so forth. Let's put it this way. There's a lot of stuff there. You know what I'm saying? They're the ones who are the, the, the prime movers. The leaders of the Hellenists that we know about, Jason, Menelaus, Lysimachus, because these are all Kohanim. That's their Gaisha names. They had Jewish names. They, for example, Jason was obviously Yoshua, you know. So it's hard to um, ignore the fact that the Haskalah was always something that in particular appealed to a certain element of the population. Having said that, we now today, in America and Israel, have a funny situation. And that's what made me think. Nowadays, you have a larger group than ever, in terms of physical population, who have Jewish educations. I don't know if they can all read Hebrew, but you have a lot of people that can read Gemara, some way, somehow, uh, are familiar with Jewish texts, some way, somehow, some have better cases in yeshiva and seminaries. Some have less good. There's a lot of people out there. And in addition to that, a lot of people interested in ideas. So when he creates, raises the question, is there a Haskalah movement or why isn't there a Haskalah movement? Nowadays, when the internet, it's actually very interesting. How does one describe, how does one um, define Haskalah? I'll tell you how I do. As I always say, this is, I can only tell you the way I understand it. Gascola was basically a movement that opposed, in principle, cultural insularity. That's very interesting today. Raise your hand if you believe in cultural insularity. And if you do, why are you listening to a podcast in the English language? <laughs> Get it? Why is it in Hebrew or at least in Yiddish? It's a breach of cultural insularity. Unless you say, well... Uh, cultural insularity, not that way, but another way. You see what I'm talking about? So you're starting to redefine the terms under under pressure of reality. Okay? But for many centuries, it was a icker of Judaism. This is the way I always put it in my classes. That the Jewish traditionalism was built around four categories. Organically, not, they didn't come out and say it befavish. One is a fundamentalism, one is nomianism, one is autonomous course of communities, and the fourth one is cultural insularity. Wherever the Jews were, they were committed to one form of cultural insularity or, or the other. And that's true even today. question is how much. So, for example, there's a difference between Rashi on the one hand and the Rambam on the other. Rashi would be into rather serious cultural insularity, wasn't engaged with French culture, at least as far as we know. Of course, French culture was totally Roman Catholic, so... Why would he? The Rambam, by contrast, although the Rambam is not really a good example to bring, but I will anyway, as you know, was not so culturally insular. I mean, he was, but not so culturally insular as Rashi. He could read Arabic, which is like saying I could read English. He read a heck of a lot in Arabic. He read a lot in science, medicine, of course, philosophy, metaphysics. He even knew a lot of the Islamic business. 
That's not culturally insular. And yet you wouldn't necessarily know when you read parts of the Rambam. So it's tricky. Okay? Now today, the poster boy, I guess, for extreme cultural insularity in American context, in my opinion, would be like a Satmar Chassid. Born and raised in the country, can't speak English. That's a perfect example of cultural insularity. It doesn't want to. You see? Now that's cracking, I, I imagine. But nevertheless, it's been there around for a long time. So what do we mean when we say that you're a pro, uh, 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 you narrows, narrows a movement of opposition to culture and insularity? Because that's what happened. Haskalah, the story around the time of Moses Mendelssohn, and then died out later and reappeared, and then died out later and reappeared. These were movements by people who basically had a... Fr it's like you see now these things of Hasidim breaking away and Netflix shows and all this junk. They, they find the from insular culture not to be warm and cuddly, but to be stifling. That's the subject of business, right? That's the subject of business. It could possibly be seen as warm and cuddly. So imagine the Hasid who loves living this life and interest in anything gush whatsoever. If you prefer, imagine a guy in a kolel, literally Shiva, who simply wants to sit and learn and do nothing else. And he's able to do it, let's say, for example, like uh, Kolevsky or something like that, in my time. The cultural insularity consists of the fact I don't need to know what's going on out the outside world. I mean, except in the very basic. That's really commitment to cultural insularity. I'm not interested in reading a Britannica. I'm not interested in reading a history book or a philosophy book or a science book. I could. I'm not interested. That's called cultural insularity. Now, the Fum world is a continuum. What you call the Haredi world is sort of, the Shi world is sort of, I emphasize the word sort of, committed to the model of cultural insularity. However, how much? How much? When the Haskalah arose, it was by alienated members of the Haredi world of that time who were in principle opposed to the narrow upbringing they had and opposed to cultural insularity in two ways, as I always put it. They were opposed to external cultural insularity and internal. By external cultural insularity, and this would be Moses Mendelssohn, those guys, why is it if you're a Satmar, for example, you can't learn English. What's wrong with learning English? A lot of from people learn English. You see what I'm saying? Like that. So in time of Mendelssohn, what's wrong with learning German? Jews only knew Yiddish, by and large. And what's wrong with knowing more than that? You see? What's wrong with it? Notice, what's wrong with it? That doesn't make me a guy. That doesn't make me a Christian or a Muslim. It doesn't turn me upside down in some pervert. What's wrong with knowing a wider language? In addition to that, there is... Now it's a Torah model language. There is value in science. You can't deny it. There is value in knowledge in mathematics and stuff like that. There is. You see? Um, that kind of argument. If you make that kind of argument, then you're saying that the from culture, I'll use that term, is too uh, hunkered down and ends up looking like fools because you'll say the earth is flat. You know what I mean? that kind of thing. And, you, and and they ignore science. I'm talking about the type of science that's been proven. You know, that you, you can prove too. 
But you ignore that. So your mom's behind. Well, you don't believe in a smallpox vaccine? You know what I mean? What, what is it? So that's one kind of cultural uh, uh, Haskalah that was opposed to any engagement with the broader culture. How's the from world been with that? Well, you live in America, let's say, for example, those who do, um, they live in America, but mm, if you're real yeshivish, I mean, you know the culture out there somewhat, maybe more than somewhat, maybe less, but it's it's not your culture. It's not it's not something to interest you. Okay, I'm not a paragon of cultural insularity. The opposite. I don't know much about baseball. I don't give a darn. Or football. I, don't, I just don't give a darn. It's okay. Don't bother me. Right? I don't have to know about that. You know, it's not something that engages my interests. I have the right. You see what I'm saying? That kind of thing. And so, the result is that in America, I would say in the 20th century, and the temp was made roughly, but very roughly, to maintain a kind of cultural insularity in terms of emphasis. They certainly couldn't keep all the boys and all the girls away from ever getting English book or an English subject. And they never came up with a formal policy. But I think they wanted to sort of minimize it. Either minimize it quantitatively or minimize it qualitatively. Which I think is an intelligent observation. That's how I would observe the 20th century, which is now passed into history. Okay? So... Then the internet raises interesting questions, but I'll get back to in a second. In other words, knowledge of American culture, let's say, for example, or world culture. There's a second type of Haskalah, which protested against uh, Jewish cultural insularity in, in an internal sense. Which I always say like this. It's not just Gemara, Gemara, Gemara. You know what I'm saying? The way Jewish history, um, the way Jewish history um, unfolded, especially in the Ashkenaz world, but everywhere, I'm speaking in very broad terms across the centuries. There was a time, for example, in the Middle Ages, for example, the Golden Age of the Jews in Spain, as they call it, similar things, when Jews were not just into Gemara. They had the poetry of the great Meshorim, the philosophy books like the Rambam and Sadigon and all that, Chazik Reskis, um, even the books of some history like the Sefer HaKabola, Shalshaz HaKabola, Sefer Yehuda, things like that. Obviously, Nach, I'm talking about Torah and Yung in the Pashib shot sense. Not simply telling you over what the Chazal said. Right? That's one, that is one way, by the way. Rashi, the Radak, usually large part of their agenda in presenting their commentary is to share with you a digest or a selection of what you find in Chazal. So that's like sticking the Gemara into the territory of the Tanakh, which is fine. There's another way, which is not to refer to Gemara at all and come up with your own shot. Right? To the degree you do that, it's not just Gemara, Gemara, Gemara. Um, depending how you want to play the game, Kabbalah. Right? These are all areas which are not just Gemara, 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 which at different, have always had a funny place in Jewish history, in the from culture, let's put it that way. We're not exactly opposed to it. How can you be opposed to somebody like Yehuda Levi? 
Shlom Ben Gabriel. These are people you you, you read their prayers. Saad uh, Yigon. Right? How do you do that? On the other hand, as I said before, it is certainly rather radically de-emphasized. So rather than blocking, use the tactic of emphasis and de-emphasis, which is actually quite effective. Okay, you hear what I said? So if you want to, you can get into it. Now, there always are some people, you know, they're into that stuff. But it's de-emphasized. And by de-emphasizing, you make sure that the mass of the group doesn't get into that. And the mass of the group will be into Gamar, Gamar, Gamar. At least let's put it this way. That's what occurred, ironically, in the modern era. It was there beforehand, but it occurred in the modern era. Because in the modern era, last 200, 250 years, for a whole bunch of reasons, um, the way those streams of orthodoxy uh, developed that managed to survive the impacts of modernity, and that's the whole course I was talking about before that I gave, I think it's online, uh, mainly was the, the only ones who survived the Second World War were the Hasidim and the literature yeshivas. Okay? The term Derechert did not survive. Not as a Yekesha thing. I mean, I know they tried in Washington Heights, but it didn't work. And the Hungarian Orthodox, the Oberlander world, did not survive. Not as a distinct form. I think they kind of folded into the literature. Because all the kids went to the literature yeshivas. So for better or worse, the way of doing Orthodox Judaism is either Hasidic, that is one model, or it's the yeshiva, the other model. The yeshiva is literally about Gamar, Gamar, Gamar. That's what yeshiva is. Not about your yeshiva. <laughs> right? That's what you do. There's a little Musa Seder, maybe a little Halacha Seder, and the rest is Gamar, Gamar, Gamar. That's what yeshiva is. The regular yeshiva. Now, um, that means you could read a poem from Yehuda Levi, like I said before. You ain't got time. It's just not going to happen. You see what I'm saying? It's not going to happen. Um, and similar for other things. You can read it. Okay, now, having said that, the question was raised, what about the internet? Um, oh, there's a third area of the Haskalah. And that's the, excuse me, that's the one that really people mean, even though they realize it. That's Apicorsis. Okay? The Haskalah was not so much involved with that, believe it or not. But was to some degree. There certainly were exemplars of Abi courses in the Haskalah, and especially the late Haskalah. Secularism, atheism, let's be call it call spade a spade. Now, let's go to the internet. Of that. It's true, the internet is in everybody's front yard, everybody's uh, you know, bedroom, so to speak. <laughs> you know. It's at the tip of a of a phone. The internet has, interestingly, uh, generated a kind of Haskalah. Oh, if you know what we mean by the term Haskalah. Anybody who's listening to this podcast right now is doing a Haskalah type thing. Because anything's not Gamar, Gamar, Gamar. For example, Jewish history is a Maskilic enterprise. Now, there was a from Haskalah. There was. But people usually aren't aware of that. When I was, Hanukkah's coming around the corner. I just gave a talk the other day in Rochester about Josephus, Yosephon, which brings you to Doris Rishonim and Victor Miller. 
and all kind of questions of how you read the sources. And do you put a from spin on the Hanukkah story? Do you put an anti from spin on the Hanukkah story? Do you say, why do the earlier sources not mention the miracle of the oil? Do you give a counter reason like Halevi does in the Rishonin? You know, things like that. These are not Gemar, Gemar, Gemar questions. A Gemar, Gemar person is going to learn to say give cups of Zuckerglar or not. You see? That's what it boils down to. That's what they're interested in. And there's a ton of farm out there that will do exactly that. Agreed? Most of Holach, Pochis Vaholach. You know, Beshan These are the Gemara, Gemara approach. And uh, I always told the story, I've told many times. When I first came to Yeshiva, after high school, here in Baltimore, they said Russia was going to give a Hanukkah cheer or something like that. I thought he was going to talk about the Maccabees. I don't know, something like that. And what was it again? I have to remember, he, he started talking about the Pnei Yeshua, Tumor <laughs> You understand? Why did they need Shemer and Tumor Why did they need um, special oil? And that was the whole raid. And that is totally Gamar Gamar No, that is one Mahalach than doing Hanukkah. And it's a very honorable Mahalach. And as you know, there are lots of forum called a hundred answers to the question. I have a couple of those at home. Uh, you know, Nerlamea, they think they used to call it. You know, a hundred answers. Why did they need oil? Or my Hanukkah? You know, things like that. So it's not a historical thing. And it's not even a morale thing. Like a philosophical, theosophical thing. It's mamish marashitosis. You see? Marashitosis, and zakaklah. Uh, fine. But it turns out that in addition to that, not in place of it necessarily, there's a lot of people interested in what I just said before. What does Rabbi Victor Miller say, or what does George Shannon say to answer, you know, Gretz and the others who say there's no Hanukkah because this book doesn't mention and so on and so forth. You know, people are interested in that sort of thing. Um, people are interested. Tell me about the Maccabean Wars. I'm just interested. I'm not shooting anybody. I'm not saying you shouldn't learn the Sigil Cubs of Zakogla. But I'm also interested in the Battle of Emos. After all, it's right near Shalavin. And to the Maccabee won a, a remarkable tactical victory, blah, blah, blah. You know, that, that kind of thing. To the degree anybody's interested in Jewish history, just Kacha, that's a Haskalah enterprise. So all the art school books, which are biographies and things like that, which are certainly from, or by genre, a muscular enterprise. Now that you have the internet, so people, if they wish to, can chase these tiny questions down by saying, what, was there a miracle of eight days or not? Let me see all the radio. You know, if you wish to do this. In a way, that was not only de-emphasized, but usually not everybody sat next to a scholarly library when they were young. Today you sit next to a scholarly library with the with the, with the tip of a finger. You understand? I, me, myself, and I happen to have one in Baltimore right next to me, a, bl- a few blocks away from me. Most people not, and and I was interested. Most people is not one, not the other. But now, you could be thirty years old, you could be forty years old, or twenty, and I want to follow this whole thing down with the history, or maybe the philosophy, or maybe, you know, this or that depending what it is. And so, in this regard, 
anything that has to do with a podcast, which is not Seglia, Dafyomi, and there's a zillion podcasts of those types, not just me, right? There's a zillion of them. And I'm referring to the from ones. Those are all, in one form or another, Muskilic Enterprises. Although that's not usually what people think about when they meet the word Haskalah. So when this person asked me the question, why are people not going up to Derek or this, that, and the other? Uh, why didn't create it? He said, how come the internet today didn't cause a new Haskalah in the from community? It sort of did, among segments of it. It sort of did. But you mean Haskalah, in the sense, why aren't they all becoming atheists? That's what he means. That's a more complex question. You don't simply do something because you see you online and then you switch your lifestyle. That has to do with 100 questions about who are you, who's your family, where do you live, do you like the life you live, are you looking for meaning in life, do you believe in God? Some people are from, they don't really believe in God, <laughs> yeah. They did. Or they don't have a Kesher or the Vegas. You know, those, those are legitimate questions. But if you ask the question, why is it called in the from community? There are, listen, let's take little old me. I get questions and things about history from all over the world. And when I say all over the world, I don't only mean the other continents, which is true. But I mean, I get from Satmer, from Lubavitch, from uh, some guys from the Open Orthodox, the whole gamut. Because people are interested in this sort of thing. And uh, I don't know if they want to come out in public and say it, but they feel comfortable talking to me about it. That's an example of the effect of the internet. When I say the internet, you mean the internet, the podcast, and the whole modern explosion of, of technology. So that's really what it means. So it is possible to in, in, uh, breach the uh, cultural insularity today thanks to the internet in ways that would have been identified as Miss Gilligan once upon a time. I'm sure any Yeshiva guy today is probably much more knowledgeable of American politics, especially in the era of Trump, than they were when I was a kid. Uh, it covers all through the Mishpacha and Ami and all this other business. It's all full of politics. They don't realize it. You know, the yeshiva world, all these buses nice. They're spinning the politics out there. They really are muscular enterprises. They don't realize it. They don't, they don't self-identify. They don't serve the same social function. Uh... Well, they do. They don't serve the same theological function as the original Haskalah did back in Europe. But they certainly are expanding beyond Gamar, Gamar, Gamar. Uh, the Apicursus is there. This is the danger of the internet. There are people, so far not a lot, but I think more is coming down the line, who, if you wish to, can go and chase down a lot of Apicursus stuff in the internet and come out not from I get questions from this one. Not questions, I get uh, people leaving or parents crying about their kids leaving over these issues. But usually you have to be pretty doggone intellectual. Most people in America are kind of airheads to one degree or another. And that means they're not really engaged usually, usually. You know, with heavy duty, you know, thinking of this, that, and the other. But sometimes you find it and go in all kinds of different directions. And one of, the, one of the different directions to say like this. The old Judaism is a lie, from top to bottom, and I'm out of here. Okay? I mean, good guys. I'll say it again. I know, me, myself, and I. I know. Good guys, not quote-unquote losers. Not that way. 
Um, this is unstoppable because, you know, if it was up to Russia, she was nobody would have a phone, but everybody has a phone or they lie. You know what I mean? They say they have this phone, but really they have that phone. You know what I mean? Those, if you want it, you can get it. And if you don't get it when you're 20, you'll probably have one by the time you're 30. You know, that's how it goes. So if your time is taken up in from things, you won't have the time for this other stuff. Notice you, 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 you prescribe yourself in this way. But if you have a lot of time on your hands, who knows where you go on the internet? Now, I'm not referring to low culture like pornography and all that. That's a different question. Questions about Haskalah, as I'm interpreting what this person wrote me, has to do with Hashkafic issues, right? And that's where the apocryphists come in. And now you have a whole library of apocryphists at your fingertips, such as never existed when I was a kid. Than before that. Just wasn't there. So that part is, is 100% true. So you have the exposure to the broader culture, if you want it. And I say again, the broader culture via the internet. Even through quote unquote kosher, you know, vehicles, you know, like the She World, whatever you want to call it. There's a ton of from news websites. And not only websites, but just the hawking. Don't you get everything in your WhatsApp, you know, from this one, that, and the other one? You understand? And and just like the regular news, you get fake news, you have a bunch of baloney, sometimes it's true. Same kind of junk. Now, so to talk about the guy who doesn't know anything about anything, that's a studied effort. That he really, you know, have to sort of tune out for the rest of the world. The skull was never about people making studied efforts. They were rebelling against the fact that just the regular efforts never brought one into contact with the outside world. As far as the broader definition of what Jewish is, the, the I do indeed think that uh, I discern a Haskalah. I'll say, I'll put it this way. I see a Haredi Haskalah. Very much so. Online. In many different places. Not simply people coming raising questions to somebody like myself. But people having these chat groups and all this other business where they debate with each other, history issues. History is like it's something I would naturally be, my attention would be drawn to. But there are a lot of those, and serious ones, and amateur and professional. And they're in Hebrew and in Yiddish as well. We've gone with the Haredim and the others. These guys are hawking and all kinds of history things in Yiddish. And it is exactly a muscular enterprise. It's the Haskalah of 200 years ago, except that that Haskalah involved a detachment from the from. You did that as part of the process of moving away from that. And nowadays, we have Haskalah joined together with the Haredism, which is interesting. So the huge difference is that used to be one or the other, and now you have a syncretism. You have both. Right? And you can see people over there I encounter them all the time. If you look on the outside, they look super from it. Now, I'm not talking about hypocrisy at all. Nothing like that whatsoever. I'm talking about uh, sp split personality might not be exactly the right word, but you know what I mean when I say it. No, they have two two minds. When they're in regular mode, they're thinking this way. And then when they're a chat group or whatever, they're thinking very critically and in a very different way. Those are muscular enterprises. Now, the question is, and I know I've already gone long enough, but the question is, what's the effect on the next generation of the children? 
That's the thing. I was just gonna make. I'm gonna make this up now. Well, I'm sure it happens. Suppose you have a guy who's. I'm not gonna say chassidish. So you have a guy. It's like a regular yeshiva guy, so and so forth. Gets married, etc., etc. And as a result of different things in the internet, he starts to have all kind of questions. And he does conform. And he does walk the walk and dress the dress. And he sends his kids to these and easy yeshivas and so forth. And he does all that. But really, 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 if you ask him, do you believe this? Do you believe that and the other? <sighs> like that. And to be perfectly honest, I'm not talking about a Murano who believes one way and lives another. I'm not referring to that, although you have that too. I'm talking about the regular person out there who actually has two sides. Right? This thinking side and that thinking side. So maybe it'll work for him and his wife for the 50, 60, 70 years that they're married. They can pull that off. And I mean it very well. Question is, what about the children? What about the grandchildren? Can they discern this? Or they can't. They say, oh, my grandfather, for example, or father, very from guy, gets up six in the morning. Because the guy I'm talking about gets up six in the morning. He goes to the me before. Sure. You understand? But when it comes to this question, that question, thanks to his contacts on the internet or his research on the internet or things like that, he has all kinds of different conclusions. So he may talk one way when he's giving a dafiyam ishir. So you ask him separately, you think this is really so? Did this happen? Eh, like that. See? In that regard, that's, in my opinion, the new face of the Haskalah today. It's subterranean, subrosa, except among the cognoscentive, among those who know. Among those who know, they communicate with each other. But to the rest of the people that he comes across in Shul and elsewhere, it's, 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 it's not there. So what effect does this have on the next generation? That, to me, is a very interesting question. You may, I hope not, but you may see like all kinds of defections happening in a big way in the next generation. And people will say, why? And maybe the question that this guy asked me this morning might have something to do with it. Now, you can't stop the internet. You can't stop it, not really. Have we worked out a way of dealing with it. The firm world never works out anything. You know, either people just figure it out on their own or they don't. <laughs> the firm world has never figured out anything. It's not, we're not organized in any way. We don't usually think in terms of adapting new changes. That's our our weakness. You know, all the changes you see, all the new things popping up in the firm communities are from the bottom up but not the top down. Uh, which is, which is interesting. Um, but you see this increasing in number. And I discern also, a lot of parents are aware of what I just said. They're very worried about themselves, the fact that they feel this way, or have these fakers or whatever, and they don't want it to affect their kids. So it's really, really interesting and very different than the classic Ascalada you had in Europe, you know, 100 years ago, 150 years ago. Because there, those guys wanted out, and they want their kids to be really out. They just didn't realize, once their kids get really out, they're not going to be interested in Ascal either. And they're a generation or two from being going. Today, people kind of know that, I think. I don't know if their children growing up will know it. Do they know that? Therefore, they have this inner conflict in this. 
Did this happen in time of Hanukkah? Undoubtedly, in some degree or another. There wasn't Gemara at that time. There was some equivalent of Torah Shabbat Some equivalent. Obviously, if the priests describing Book of Maccabees dropped that stuff and went for a gymnasium and Greek sports, all the rest of it, they found Torah Shabbat Peh, Torah Shabbat Peh, boring. Right? It's boring. And the Greek stuff, interesting. This was a problem. Nobody knew how to deal with it. And as happens, in the beginning, you always, if you're on the left wing of Judaism, you always plead for tolerance. So your group can be accepted as one of many possibilities. Once you gain the solid ground, then you try to wipe out the others and assert that yours is the only way. And that's the history of left wing movements within Judaism from time immemorial. That's exactly what happened in time of Hanukkah. As we all know, it provoked a right wing reaction. The result was the Maccabean Wars, A.E., i.e., a civil war. And in the long run, as Hanukkah commemorates, although Hanukkah is just one episode in the long wars between two sets of Jews, the, the from one out, let's put it that way. There's, it's an oversimplification, but it is essentially true. So that's the connection between Hanukkah on the one hand and the question that this fellow raised with me today of the Haskell on the other. Hanukkah involves a certain type of fight over muscular tendencies, but it totally got out of hand and became very violent and led to a lot of suffering. But ultimately, the triumph of the Frum? No, not really. When the Frum won the Maccabean Wars, that did not end the fascination with the Greek culture. Okay? It just did. Jews continue to speak Greek, read Greek junk and all this kind of stuff like that. That's a fact. Um... So what was Hanukkah? The Frum were able to survive, and if they waited long enough, then the the Greek thing would die out. Because that's what happens in history. The things that are not Frum eventually have a, are episodic. They come and go. Sometimes it's 100 years and more. Sometimes much less. In my lifetime, I didn't grow up in the beginning of Marxism, but I grew up, I was born, lived to a period when Marxism was a big avodah but I lived to see the end of Marxism. You know, of course, now it's followed by consumerism. That's the new God. Is consumerism going to die one of these days? I don't know. The question is, can the from world, the from culture uh, survive it long enough? Anyway, I thought it was an interesting question to raise, especially this time of the year. And that's what I have to say in the subject. Once again, I want to thank Esty Rosberg and her family, Chaim and, and Bajan, and Noah, everybody, you know, Jenny, everybody, um, for and Leah in Israel for um, sponsoring and Nisham Shavaliyah. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.